Today is one of those days where I really, really wrestled with the topic. There's something that I want to say, but because it's not good news, it can sometimes be hard to come on here and share a hard, difficult truth because the world is hard as it is, and I'm not here to give you more bad news. But after nearly 10 years of working against police brutality full-time, and now almost 25 years of fighting against police brutality just as a, a part of my life, I've come to a really difficult conclusion about what we're up against. And today I want to unpack and explain why, after all of the time that I've put in fighting police brutality, why I have a conclusion that is pretty frustrating. Let me unpack and explain it. Stick with me. This is Sean King, and you're listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. Last year was actually the worst year for police violence ever measured. That comes after the most significant protest that this country has seen since the civil rights movement. That comes after the eyes of the world being on the United States and the issue of police violence and racial injustice. After our very best efforts, we had the worst year the country has ever had. Now, when I say our very best efforts, are there critiques? Are there ways that if we look back on us, hey, we should have tinkered with this and done that. We shouldn't have done this, but done that, of course. But the, from the protest, demonstrations, and actual deep level of organizing that happened in 2020 and into 2021, you would expect that the police violence in 2021 would drop, but it didn't. In fact, it increased, and as I said, was the worst year ever measured. That's what we're up against. And I've been fighting against and organizing against police brutality full-time now for nearly nine years. And I started fighting against police brutality all the way back in 1999. Um, nearly 25 years ago. And from all of my efforts, from working literally with hundreds and hundreds of families all over the country that have experienced police brutality, including the loss of their loved ones, their, their husbands, their, their wives, their sons and daughters, their mothers and fathers, I am convinced of three really painful truths. And I say this as an, as an optimistic person, like my default wiring is to be hopeful. And, and I am hopeful as a human being, but I'm also logical and I have intellect. And so while this hope springs from my faith and from my heart and soul, my, my logic and my study and my intellect have led me to three very difficult conclusions. 
First, the root causes, the underlying causes of police violence aren't being addressed. And I won't linger here long because I just want to get you these three points so you can chew on them and think about them. We have tens of thousands of issues of police violence every year, not just people who are killed by police, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of police violence incidents all over the country, including planting of evidence and people just being brutally attacked by police all over the United States. And last year, as I said, was the deadliest year ever measured. But the root causes that police use for why they are violent are not even remotely being addressed. And the number one root cause that police say they have, particularly when they shoot and kill someone, is that they feared for their life. And police fear for their life, they say, because they know that there are so many guns in circulation that there is a reasonable chance that the person that they are pulling over or arresting could be armed and could consider using it. This is how they've been trained. And so police have been trained to shoot and kill people, to protect themselves, and I'm repeating their talking points, and to protect the people around them. They've been trained to shoot quickly and kill quickly if they sense any possible fear. It doesn't have to be based in reality, but if they fear for their lives based on what they think they might see, it doesn't have to be a gun. Doesn't, the threat doesn't have to be real. And I've broken that down before. The Supreme Court cases, Tennessee versus Garner, Graham versus Connor, gives police the opportunity to act out violently just because they sense something could be about to happen. While the truth is, there were less than 100 million guns in circulation when those laws were written and then 200 million, then 300 million. Now, at nearly 400 million guns in circulation, we have more guns in this country than people. And police are using, while most police simultaneously lobby for there to be less gun regulation, police are never fighting for more gun regulations. Police departments are overwhelmingly made up of conservatives that want there to be more guns, everywhere and fewer regulations everywhere. And the truth is that is a toxic poisonous position for black people in particular, because police are using as their excuse for their violence, primary excuse that they feared for their lives, that someone might have a gun. And because there are more guns than people, in a lot of ways, that's not a completely unreasonable conclusion. Now, the fact that they tend not to shoot white people that they perceive to have a gun, but consistently shoot black people they perceive to have a gun, whether either one of them have it or not, that's a whole nother issue. But because of it, because of this, here's the, 
again, point number one on why I am increasingly convinced that police brutality will not end is that the root causes aren't being addressed. One is the astronomical, one of the root causes, is the astronomical amount and number of guns in circulation. And the second root cause, there are many, but the second root cause for today is the sheer number of stops and arrests that police make. They make millions of stops and millions of arrests. And most experts believe that in order for the number of people that are shot or maimed or harmed by police to go down, you have to drastically reduce the the number of times police have interactions with people all over the country. And many of us who fought for the legalization and decriminalization of marijuana, our hope and thought was, okay, we can decriminalize that. Police will no longer be harassing people for it. And that will pull at least one thing away from them that they'll no longer be able to hassle and harass people for. And theoretically, that's true. But they've just replaced it with other stuff. They're still harassing people at the same rate they always have. They've just found other reasons to do it. Okay, so until we address the number of guns in circulation and until we drastically get the number of times police interact with people down, police brutality will not go down. It just won't. So the truth is there are root causes to police violence. Again, I would also put racism and discrimination and bigotry in that. And as you may see in America, that stuff is flourishing. It's not disappearing. And in fact, the most racist people in America today are not senior citizens. They're old people. I mean, are not, are not senior citizens. They're young people. And young people have have brought in a brand new generation of bigotry and racism. And, and so here we are. Are the things that cause police brutality to be a problem, the root causes, are those things changing? No. And, you know, poverty is also a part of that. And in this capitalistic society, is poverty going away? Is racism and bigotry going away? Are the number of stops from police going down? Are the number of guns in circulation going down? The answer is no to all of those things. And that's why the root causes of police violence aren't actually being addressed. And so the number stays the same or goes up. So that's, that's, that's the first major point that I want to share that a lot of the reason we're struggling is because we're not addressing the root causes. Here's my second point. Because America is one of the only two-party, and I'm doing air quotes right now, two-party democracies, we really don't have a progressive party. The Democrats and Republicans agree on a lot of things. And on policing, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are virtually the same. Uh, there might be people in the Democratic Party, very few of them, that are different. But by and large, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party officially are seeing and treating policing the same way. The Democratic Party is not doing anything substantive to actually curb or reduce police violence. They aren't. 
They're not taking it seriously. It's why they can't pass a serious bill on police violence. It's it's not even a real priority. And that is in part because we do have two parties. I wish we had four. I wish we had extreme conservatives being a party, moderate conservatives being a party, moderate Democrats being a party, and then ultra liberals and progressives being a party. I wish we at least had a four-party system. But we don't. We have a two-party system. And what that two-party system does is it really moderates the way they address the issues. And so virtually nothing is happening on policing. In fact, they've passed bills to give police more and more and more money while not doing anything of substance to actually curb their violence and misconduct. So, again, we're not, number one, we're not addressing the root problems that cause police violence. Number two, our current two-party system lends itself not to change, but to the status quo, particularly on policing. And here's the last point. And I talked about this some in my book, Make Change. Change is, change is hard. Change takes a plan. Uh, It takes people working that plan and sticking with it. And it takes that plan being super well-funded in perpetuity. And right now, there is not a well-funded group, including the NAACP, the Urban League, and others. There is not a well-funded group. Those groups have budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars. There isn't a well-funded group that has a substantive plan to address police violence that is spending the amount of money that needs to be spent, that is hiring the amount of staff that need to be hired, and that are working that plan. And until we have that, change takes lobbyists, organizers, corporations. Uh, it, change takes so many people being on board for it that you just, it's an undeniable thing. As an illustration, after the horrible school shooting in Uvalde that left dozens of children and staff slaughtered, you would think that would be the time that we would get serious reform or change. But we didn't get serious reform or change. Nothing, nothing substantive. And it's because... As we stand right now, the people and groups fighting against change just on issues of gun violence still have more sway, power, and influence than those fighting for change. Those fighting against it are currently more effective than those fighting for it. And on police violence, it's it's not even a competition. Those fighting against holding police accountable are currently way more influential and are winning the battle against those of us that are fighting to hold police accountable and change this issue. So I am increasingly convinced that in spite of our best efforts, we're going to see very little change. 
And let me conclude with this. If we didn't fight against police brutality the way we have, I have no idea how bad it would be. I, I think in part because of how we fight against it, it may be keeping it in the similar ballpark to where it is now. Like when it went up in 2021, it wasn't like a, it didn't double or triple. It, it went up a small percentage and it has stayed around this amount, the, uh, around this number of people killed for the past eight years by police has been relatively consistent. And I'm only left to wonder, what would it be if none of us were even fighting against it? I think the number would be significantly higher. So is it still worth fighting against it? Yes. But intellectually, logically, I don't know in our lifetime that we'll ever see a serious reduction of police violence. Is it worth fighting against? Absolutely. Were our efforts in vain? Of course not. But I'm convinced that because the root issues aren't being addressed, that alone is going to cause this problem to be here for a very, very long time. Listen, I've got to, I've got to run. Love, 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 and appreciate all of you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for always being in my corner. It means the world to me. And if you're not yet a member of the North Star, please, please join today. Love and appreciate all of you. Take care, y'all. Break it down. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we are the Momentum Advisors. Every single week, we talk about wealth management, personal finance, and entrepreneurship. We are financial advisors by day. We're entrepreneurs by night. We're building wealth for ourselves, and we want to make sure that you understand how to build wealth in your own family. Tune in for shows like Is Your Money Racist? Retirement Savings, Investment 101. We literally run the gamut on all the things that you need to know about financial wealth, creating a legacy for your family, and really just wealth creation as a whole. What we find is that these conversations are happening, but they're not happening as much as they need to in diverse communities. And so we're bringing a new voice, a new amount of energy, and we want you to tune in. So we bring the tips, we bring the strategy, and we always bring the good news. So make sure you tune in every week to the Momentum Advisors. There's something for everyone. Mom.